It's the Breakcast, Breakcast, the PopBreak.com Breakcast, Breakcast, listen to the show Because you're in for the PopBreak.com Breakcast, Breakcast, oh Hello there, and welcome to the Anniversary Brothers Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the anniversaries of your favorite TV shows and films. And this month, you're in for a treat. We are going to be talking about the 15th year anniversary of Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. And joining me, as usual, is my brother and co-host, Aaron. Say hi. Hey. And we have an extra special guest with us today as well. So he is uh, new to, to the Pop Break, or I should say not, not a part of the Pop Break family, but he's part of our family. So we are joined today by our cousin, Sean Liebert, who has graciously agreed to join us today. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, excited for you to be here. And yeah, so we're talking about The Prestige, which um, came out in October of 20 or 2006 i should say so 15 years since this came out um came out on the 20th of october although it had its uh original premiere on the 17th at the el capitan theater uh sean have you ever made it to the the el capitan out there in california i think uh i think i've been there once or twice okay uh, i can't remember what uh what films though okay not Definitely, definitely. It's uh, it's exciting to go down there and check out that and the Chinese and all that. Um, uh, it's definitely worth going to at least once in a lifetime. Okay, nice. Yeah, I I always see that listed as where movies are premiering, and then it's like I have no idea what that's like. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> glad you've got a chance. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, I'm guessing you've never. No, I know you've never made it there. Well, no, I mean, because you and I have only been to California once, so. Uh, unless you took a uh, a secret undercover trip without telling me, <laughs> <laughs> or unless you have a you know a a body double or a clone I don't know about. Right, uh, right, right. The only Are you, you lying know to us right now. Right. I mean, I last time we were there, I, the only disappointment is that I didn't get In and Out Burger. So, mm. oh man, disappointed in you. <laughs> Hopefully, there'll be other opportunities though. Sure. Unless In-N-Out Burger goes out of business tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. You heard it here first. Yeah. But yeah, so we're talking about The Prestige. And yeah, this is a movie that um, I don't know. I don't hear a lot of people talk about, especially uh, among Christopher Nolan's films. I, I feel like it's one that I don't hear in conversation a lot. But um, yeah, just want to go into our relationships with the the movie and uh, you know, our initial feelings about it. So, uh, Sean, I guess I'll start with you. Do you remember when you first saw this movie? Um, I think I did, uh, you know, a few, a few feelings from it. From my first experience was it with, I, I knew that when it came to leaving the theater, it was really impressed with the overall feeling I had for it. I know I was, a, I was a huge fan of Nolan's right after Memento. I didn't see following yet, but, um, I knew there was a certain unique style that he had 
Um, and he, he, he just hits it out of the park when it comes to the themes, uh, subtlety and the pacing in his films, um, especially very Hitchcockian, uh, type of direct direction that I was just so excited to see in, in a modern way. Um, so when it came to the prestige, I was blown away. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like definitely a fan of it. And, and you said you saw it in theaters, so you got the, the, yes. the crowd, um, reaction i i assume the, the audience was into it as well yeah i mean it's been such a long time you know it, it's very fragmented when i think back on it but from what i did remember it was definitely a crowd pleaser yeah okay yeah it's only been 15 years i mean that's a, a little while yeah. back i know yeah. um aaron do you remember when you saw this for the first time um so i think you know we you and I know we didn't see this movie in theaters. Um, we did, you know, with our previous, you know, experience with Christopher Nolan was only having seen Batman Begins. Didn't even really know who he was at that time. Uh, I know uh, when we, I think when we visited Sean, which uh, after uh, I think a trip to Disney, uh, which would have been in 06 or whatever. I think it was when he he first actually kind of introduced us into Christian Nolan as like he's this director and stuff like that. Um, I think we rented this movie or it was on demand. Probably not on demand. Oh six, but uh, it was on TV or something. Uh, probably it was probably yeah. like on TNT or something <laughs> at the time, at least. If anyone remembers TNT, <laughs> TNT's still around. <laughs> yeah. Sure, I know, but we're all like Netflixing and Huluing, you know. Yeah. TNT gets lost and all that. Fair, fair. Um, but yeah, Aaron, I, I, you're definitely right that we didn't see it in theaters. We either rented it or saw it on TV. Um, Aaron, do you remember? Did you like it when you saw it the first time? Um, I think I was pretty confused going into it, and I think, um, I wasn't prepared for everybody to have some, you know you know, English or Scottish or Welsh accent. So mm. that was a little bit of a, like added to the confusion. So it was just like, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. Um, yeah. But I don't yeah, think. I, it, oh, sorry. I was going to just say like, yeah, I think when it comes to Nolan's films in general, you can't, you can't uh, uh, daydream in his, when, when you watch his films, you like every scene is so important. <laughs> integral. You have to like register every element that he, he shows in every scene, you know, the subtlety and, and the nuance and all that. I, yeah, if you, if, if, you, if you don't realize something or don't think of something, it's too late. And then you kind of like don't know what's, what the hell is going on. But I think uh, it's so interesting because watching it again and again, at least for me, I appreciate it more and more. Like I, I start seeing more and more things. But um yeah, I, I I can I totally understand how you can be confused in in your first viewing because there's it's just jam packed from beginning to end about with information you have to register, you know. Yeah, and I mean, for you know, I'm not sure exactly when I saw it when it came out. I would have been 14, uh, so my brain was still developing. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 also just um, compared to and we'll get into it the the structure plays a little mm -hmm. loose with as far as um cr you know the chron chronology of you know events um mm -hmm. 
so Batman Begins did also, but you know, this I feel plays a little, you know, a little, you know, it 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 takes more, you know, I don't want to say risks necessarily, but well, I mean, maybe risks at that. You know, is the audience going to be able to follow this? You know, obviously, Christopher Nolan thought that the answer was yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost one of those things where, like, even with the film itself, coming from Nolan's perspective as a director, you kind of have to wonder, will the audience pick up on it, like, very easily? Like, I don't know when you guys rewatched it if you felt like uh, the surprise, the twist is actually, like, right, right there. It's just right under your nose. Uh, and then you know, certain characters are already telling Angie or the, the, the protagonist is like, he's, it's this, it's this, it's this. And then he doesn't believe it because, you know, it's part of the illusion. Like no one wants to believe in the magic because it's, they want to believe that it's bigger than that. You know, as simple as that. Oh, I totally think it works in, in that regard. I don't know how Josh uh, feels, um, but um, mm-hmm. that uh, I, I think it, 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 it works. Um, but just, uh, yeah, I guess like uh it really like it really depends on your sort of exposure to his style. Um what sort of what kind of movies you you watch, you know. Yeah. If you mm-hmm. watch movies that are very straightforward, which most movies are, um you know, you certainly if you watch like a Tarantino film, you watch pulp fiction, that movie is all over the place, you know, in terms of the timeline. But, right. you, you know, I remember rewatching that. And I was like, well, okay, so when, this took place before this, but this took was like, um, yeah. but that's sort of part of the fun of it. Um, this yeah. movie is, that's how the, it builds up the suspense. Mm-hmm. Right. So Josh, yeah. what, what, are, what are your feelings as far as what you remember? Uh, and uh, I guess as in terms of what you thought. Well, I, I agree with, with most of what you said, Aaron. I think uh, having only seen Christian Bale in Batman Begins, when he came in with this thick Welsh accent, I had no idea what was going on. And having rewatched it with subtitles, I know that I probably missed about half the movie last time because um, I think this is the first time I've watched it since we saw it uh, on TV or when we rented it. Um and so, like, for me, that was one of the things that I remember the most is, like, I cannot understand Christian Bale, which is not a fault of his. It's a fault of mine for not being able to register accents very well. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is just this is more of like a looking back thing, um, just being blown away that this movie had Batman, Wolverine and uh, <laughs> Black Widow all together in one room, uh, which I, I don't just a little it, it is thing. Well, it, even Alfred the Butler. Um, and Alfred, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this movie, yeah, I mean, this, I think they could still make this movie because Chris Renan has been known to have phenomenal casts. Um, but just yeah. looking at, you know, what would the the budget of this movie have skyrocketed just because of, look who's in it. I mean, not only, you know, you have, you know, like you said, Christian Bale, who, you know, went on to win an Oscar, you know, Hugh Jackman, uh, multiple, you know, Oscar nominee, Scarlett Johansson, two time, you know, Oscar winner, Michael Caine and David Bowie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, if, if we're going for superhero connections also has the director of Venom two in it, Andy Serkis. So 
a lot of lot of superhero energy. Uh, but no, I that that's kind of looking back. But I I remember enjoying it in the way that I enjoy most Christopher Nolan movies on initial watch, where mm. I think I like it and I leave the movie just like sitting with feelings of I think I understood what happened and I think I enjoyed it, but I'm not sure. And then it usually takes me like another week before I'm like, oh yeah, I like that. And then I need to watch right. it again. Um, that was really my feeling back then watching this. And uh, having rewatched it now, it it's, it's funny knowing the twist now because so many points in this movie, I, I was so annoyed with the characters when, um, when Hugh Jackman um, or Christian Bale's characters never recognize the other one with a fake beard. And I'm like, come on, it's so simple. Like, don't stop picking the, the guy in the audience that's clearly your rival. And then I was like, yeah, but the first time I saw this, I had no idea Christian Bale was wearing that wig and fake beard for the entire movie. So right. I'm as guilty as they are. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's a uh, intentional thing, but it it works. And I think that's as much a testament to how Christopher Nolan um, lines up the shots and how he puts um, the characters in them, but also how good the the makeup and uh, like prosthetics work in this movie. I think it's like it's really good. Like you can tell when the character is Christian Bale, but like it's it's still this this sense of like. Or is it like it, it could not be so there, there's a lot going on with the uh, just the makeup and effects that I, I think works really well. Well, it's uh, it's like uh, what um, I'm trying to remember what the name of uh, Christian Bale's character's name is um, Borden. Borden. Yeah. yeah, it's like what Borden says. It says, are you watching closely? Like you have to be watching closely. You won't notice these details. I know. You know, and, and and piggybacking on uh, what uh, Josh was saying, like you see, you see Fallon, who's the guy in the makeup, who's Christian Bale. You know, no spoil, you know, spoilers and all that. But like <laughs> he, it's it's so funny how like we, even when I saw it in the theater, I was like, is that Christian Bale in the makeup? And I was like, huh. But I never actually put that to, you know two and two together, thinking that they were like actually brothers. You know, like that never like crossed my mind. So like. And I don't know how you guys feel about it too, but like, I'm not sure if that really dictates how good the makeup is or just it's something sort of like more cerebral where it's like recognition, recognition, like patterns and like a duality of these things and not really connecting the dots right away as an audience member. But like, you know, you, you do have to applaud Nolan for doing that because he must be questioning that the whole time. Like our audience is going to notice it's, it's bailed this whole time, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think he he does enough work both both Bale and um, and Nolan to like disguise that. I mean, yeah. this, so many of the shots are uh, of Fallon are from behind, or he's obscured in the background, and right. he doesn't say anything until um, maybe like fifteen or ten minutes left in the movie. So they yeah. they're definitely trying to make it somewhat mysterious who Fallon is. Um, yeah. but I feel like sort of like with magic like if, if you're not paying attention it's that that sleight of hand you're you're so focused on right this this rivalry between Hugh Jackman characters and Christian Bale's character that you're not even focused on like who is this mysterious person that we've never heard speak in the movie mm-hmm. right 
So I guess, Josh, uh, in terms of, you know, how we all feel about the movie now, I mean, we've, we've already been saying a lot of positive things, I guess. Overall, you know, you don't have to say like, oh, I love this movie, but it seems like we all have positive feelings about this movie. I I would say overall, I, I will say that this is a very Christopher Nolan movie. And I mean that in both a good way and a bad way. And that if, if you're someone who likes Christopher Nolan and his style, I think you'll you'll really like this movie. If you're someone who finds him annoying or just not a fan of some of his decisions, then you're probably not going to like this movie. Um, if that makes sense. No, it does. It, it totally makes sense. This is, you know, as a, I mean, I'm trying to think of like the most un-Christopher Nolan movie that Christopher Nolan has made. Um... Uh, and, and, I would and I'm, say, yeah, well, I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know if it's, it might be Insomnia, which Josh has not seen. So, well, no. Insomnia, well, and, and as well as the, I know with the Prestige, we didn't really discuss it yet, but it's based off the book. So, you know, there's that inkling of information that it's another adaptation. But like uh, with with Insomnia, it was a uh, remake. So I think if you had to, if well, if I personally had to pick, I guess Insomnia because it's. It's kind of like, you know, you look at all the Nolan films thematically. It's about time or obsession, uh, and he likes he likes to connect those things pr- pretty pretty solidly throughout his whole franchise of movies. But like Insomnia, I guess you're only thematic when it comes to time. Is like very interestingly enough, uh, the setting was of Alaska and how like the sun never sets, uh, and it gets into your mind, you know, psychology psychology and again the cerebralness of it um but i mean aside from that i can't think of like uh i can't think of any other film being lesser i mean i would say to be honest like insomnia might be my least favorite of his but as a filmmaker it's pretty solid still (laughs) so yeah. And I I think that speaks to like the consistency of Nolan. Like there are themes that he likes to go back to and he's like really made his bread and butter, just time being the big one. Um but yeah, once again, I think if if you're someone who just I, I know some people find um his work a little pretentious or a little too like uh gimmicky or focus on twists, I think if, if you're one of those people, you're probably not gonna enjoy this. Um but I think if you're someone who's looking for like a puzzle box of a movie, um, that I think you you likely enjoy this. But and and I think it's not really either or. I think uh, it's also very impossible, very possible to uh, enjoy some of the the tricks and deceptions in the movie, but also be annoyed at um, how knowingly the movie does it at times. Okay, but what is the movie about? We kind of been dancing around. Oh yeah, <laughs> the movie's not about anything. Um, Aaron, can you tell us what the movie's about? <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, uh, the Prestige is uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, second entry in the Michael Caine cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, okay, but really, uh, uh, the Prestige is about. Um, Two rival magicians, um, one played by Christian Bale. He goes by the Professor. That's his his stage name. His name is Borden, and uh, the great Danton, uh, 
uh, played by Hugh Jackman or Angier as his, his actual name is. Uh, so they're rival magicians trying to one up each other. Um, they were friends. They have a falling out uh, after uh, Christian Bale makes a mistake that uh, leads to the death of uh, Angier's wife, who was uh, part of the show that they were uh, performing in. Um, and then it's it, it just becomes this huge grudge, on, you know, uh, who's going to be the better magician, you know. And uh, it, it go it, it, it seems, you know, on face value, that sounds very like pretty straightforward. But, uh, you know, it goes into the realm of, you know, them trying to figure out each other's trick. Um uh, Borden has this one trick where he he seemingly teleports from one side of the room to the other, called the 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 transported man, I think it's called. And mm-hmm. uh, a huge uh, chunk of the movie is you know Angier trying to figure out the trick, and um, he goes through you know some pretty you know out there means to try to one up him, you know even you know yeah you know trying like that- to like down to the very name, like, uh, so you have the transported man, then Andrew's like, I'll call it the, the real transported man or something like that. And yeah. then like, there's something else. Um, or maybe that was the final, the real transported man. It, it was like three, it three was, renditions of it. Yeah. It was the transported man, the new transported man, the original transported man, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then the real transported man. Yeah. And so but anyway, it's at each other then. Yeah. It's all about them, you know, trying to one up each other, you know, particularly with this one trick. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, he goes on, you know, he he actually journey journeys around, you know, the world trying to, you know, figure out his secret. He he he, he hooks up with uh, Nick, Nikola Tesla, played by David Bowie, who, who gives him a gadget to like the, you'll be the ultimate magician uh, if you if you use this, because it's not. You real know, science it's real science magic so I, I i see as i talk about it more it sounds more like what are you talking about <laughs> um but yeah it, it like i said it's it's basically when it comes down to it two two you know magicians grudge match trying to one-up each other um mm-hmm. and it just becomes you know a deadly game of you know who's going to be the best yeah, I mean, it, it sounds so trivial, but it's it's one of those movies where you have to see to believe in it. It is yeah. literally a magic trick from beginning to end. Yeah, uh, and the audience is is literally the audience in this respect, and it's it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, I liked how you described all the uh, the variations of the transported man. It sounds like you know the Amazing Spider-Man, the Spectacular Spider-Man, the Ultimate Spider. <laughs> no, it's, it's 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 Coca-Cola, New Coke. You know, co-classic. Co- so what you're saying is, no one wants to direct a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, that's it. That's really it, though. Yeah, there we go. Okay, go I'd see that. Um, no, but um, yeah, the the movie is something where you you know it to to describe it, it it sounds kind of petty, and and to be fair, it is kind of petty in the movie of of how the two characters go back and forth. Um, Aaron, did, did this hold up for you? And, and now that, uh, I know you also, 
uh, plan on watching it with subtitles to help with the accent. Uh, <laughs> did, did you enjoy it more this time around? Uh, well, actually, so uh, I I picked this movie up several months ago, uh, uh, a, a used copy at a you know a used goods store. Uh, so I, I've watched this movie twice within the past like like four months. So. Uh, wow. I've, 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 I've felt like that helped me get a better understanding of it. So I liked it, you know, more each time that I watched it. I, I, the second, the second time I was like, wow, this movie is good, but it's long. But like that didn't, the length didn't bother me as much. Like actually knowing what was like ha- going to happen actually made the movie better, which is, and sometimes you would think like that wouldn't make sense. You're like, cause you're not surprised. You know, some people said, Oh, this is right. so good. If I could, you know, wipe my memory and watch it again for the first time, <laughs> yeah. you know, I wish I could recapture that feeling. But I feel like this movie is the opposite of that. Surpasses that. Yeah. I I would agree that the movie goes by quickly. And I, it, it's funny. I watched uh, The Green Lantern for the first time the other day. Uh, Ooh, the one with Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> what and it was, movie is there? It's you know it's a cinematic masterpiece that will be heralded for generations. It's to come. the it's the next Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, that's what he said. Um, but I that movie was shorter than this, and it felt ten times longer. And I I think that's because even though that movie was uh, under two hours, and this one is just at that two hours mark, this one the Prestige requires you to be an active audience member like like you said sean it it, it requires you to pay attention because not only are you seeing these two characters uh angier and and borden go after each other but you're also trying to figure things out with them like you're also like like, what the heck is going on here like and so it it makes you have to participate in the movie and that's what makes the difference even if it is a you know two-hour movies is it's not you know uh avengers ain't getting long but it's still long I think what's interesting that what Nolan does in this film is that I don't know if you guys caught caught on, but um, he was particularly interested in doing handhelds for this movie more so than anything hmm. because he wanted. And for me, I agree. Like there's a more visceral quality when you're like in it. Like if you're watching four or five characters talk and you know, they've had many of those situations, you feel like you're, you're peering over their shoulder to listen in to what they're saying. You are like one of the audience members that is somehow snuck in backstage and is listening to the conversation that you shouldn't be hearing. And I think that's so cool that uh, he looks at it that way, you know, as opposed to like having these like grandiose, like epic shots uh, mm. on a steady cam or, or a fl- a fl- flying in or something like that. It doesn't require that. And it feels more grounded, obviously. Mm. And not only because of the, the Victorian setting, but like, just that style alone with the handheld just works really well for this film, even though a lot of other uh, historical Victorian era kind of uh, films or, or series kind of don't do that. Mm. Yeah, that is, yeah. That, that's interesting. I didn't notice that, but it is sort of like more modern filmmaking, yeah. the idea of handheld right. in, in a classic right. setting. Because it no. does that suspense, you know? Yeah. And I think the other thing is that, you know, we, we've come to know Christopher Nolan as this 
ultimate advocate for IMAX. Um, and, you know, the, I, as far as I know, there is not a single IMAX shot in this movie. And it, because of that, it, it does allow for more of that that intimate um, cinematography and, and really getting in close with the characters. Um, yeah. So it's, it's not, you know, those sweeping scenes. Um, you know, it's not uh, the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises when you have the Bane attacking the plane or it's not, um, you know, The Dark Knight when uh, Batman's flying through um, China mm-hmm. to 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 get the the guy who ran off from Gotham. But like it's it, it there's a level of intimacy to it that you don't get as much from Christopher Nolan's films now, um, even right. a movie like Interstellar, which is, you know, supposed to be fairly intimate and emotional. It still yeah. relies more on that. The IMAX of it all for like yeah. the spectacle. Yeah, and I feel like, interestingly enough, it does add some sort of claustrophobic atmosphere to it, as opposed to, his, like you just, just you said, like Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises. I don't think there was any one sweeping sh- uh, shot of the city, like in The Prestige. It was just all grounded. And I think mm-hmm. that that also from a, you know, a technical um, mm-hmm. perspective, um, from him not having a shot of the city, I think I did notice that, is that... Um, you know, it is obviously, you know, a, a, a set. I mean, this, you know, yeah. Victorian England does not exist anymore. <laughs> but, you no, know, that, yeah. if, you know, Christopher Nolan being the person who t- likes to keep CGI to a minimum, you know, would not like to have, you know, you know, if he has to make a CGI, you know, version of, you know, Victorian England would not want to do it. And I, I right. think it, it, it would, t- it takes you out of the, the reality of it. If you, if you yeah. see CGI buildings and I mean, a lot of movies do do that. And, you know, you know, when I watched years ago, you know, Les Miserables, you know, it was supposed to be, you know, 19th century, you know, Paris, but you know, it doesn't look you know, it's it's digitized or, you know, when they do the Great yeah. Gatsby, it's supposed to be, you know, New York in the 1920s. So it just right. it keeps it grounded. Like there is maybe a sort of expectation. You you know, when you when you watch a Batman movie, you expect the skyline of Gotham. But in this movie, you can get away with not having that. Right. And I, I, that's not to say that Prestige doesn't have any like wide canvas shots where you do see like a wide shot of the training coming in with Angier. Um, there are big, big picture elements. Like you see the huge mount, mountainscape, um, like the, you, you see that, yeah. but in, in, when it comes into the city, it's way different. And I don't think it has anything to do with limitation of project or anything. I just think that's just what he wanted. And I know they shot from the universal back tour. They actually made that city, uh, in, in, in universal. And, um, I believe Mason Crowley was the art director, which I don't know if he won. He was definitely nominated for an Oscar for um, the set and, and 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 the costumes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and then not to mention uh, Wally Fister, the cinematographer who did an excellent job. He was also nominated for an Oscar as well. Uh, it all comes together with that. And I think it's fantastic work all around. Oh yeah. It's a very nice looking movie. Um, yeah. When, when I, I, I don't know if you guys are aware that this movie sort of had the uh it, it was it it was sort of not really unlucky cuz I don't think it affected the box office but uh it came in it came out at the same time uh roughly as uh The Illusionist. I don't know if you've heard of that movie. Yeah. 
um, which is a a similar movie with, you know, a magician with Edward Norton. Um, But this movie looks so much better. Like that movie was a low, you know, had a lower budget, but really the problem with that, the the movie is fine. Actually. I, I, it was free on YouTube. I watched it. It's actually a, it's a pretty decent movie actually, but the problem with the art direction is they decided to cast everything in a very ugly sepia tone. Um, so it looks... Um, we're talking about we're talking about the illusionist, right? Yeah, the illusionist. Uh, right, so right, it right, just yeah. it looks very unappealing. Um, yeah, also, that like, uh, the framing sorry. is, you know, this also goes for you know full you know cinemascope you know widescreen, mm-hmm. whereas that is you know you know you know a taller picture so th- this feels you know even though we said it's you know intimate it feels a little more grand so th- th- that move that movie just feels smaller and sort of like less visionary <laughs> so it's like again it's a decent yeah. movie but it, it is funny that that movie came out at the same time it was sort of like the yeah. you know armageddon uh deep impact or dante's peak volcano situation where Hollywood released a, a similar movie, you know, within, you know, a year or so of right. each other. It's, it's, it's weird how that works. It's very zeitgeist. Yeah, it happened. Uh, there was another nature. movie with like, there were two Mars movies, I think in the year 2000, that was like Red Planet and Mission to Mars. So <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, having not seen The Illusionist, I, I, I can't speak on that. But um, Sean, it, you, you were right. It, this movie was nominated for best art direction and best cinematography at the Oscars. It didn't win either. Um, but I, I think that does speak to the level of uh, technical uh, mastery behind the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know I mentioned earlier the um, some of the makeup and costume work and, and prosthetics. I, I think that's the other thing that I came away really impressed with. And, I, and I'm honestly shocked it didn't get a nomination for that. Because um, mm-hmm. I think... They they were uh, had more than enough work to do, and I mean Christopher Nolan is is no um, slouch when it comes to using uh, you know practical effects and everything, um, but like the amount of just makeup and and once again like costuming like that I found to be remarkable, and I mean Christian Bale is like ridiculous when it comes to all that so you know it, it part of me is wondering like if they just speak him down from like shooting separately and like gaining 50 pounds to play the other guy and like growing a beard out and shaving it every other day for the for the film because that feels like something that christian bale would do you're saying you're saying as in like he's he goes that far that he you wouldn't be surprised if he did that Oh yeah, I mean, knowing yeah, what he yeah. did for the machinist or what he did oh, for yeah. when he played Dick Cheney, like I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like he came onto set one day <laughs> so, and he like he, he gained fifty pounds overnight and grew a beard overnight. So I think yeah. I I actually think I know the movie that beat this as far as this was nominated for costuming. Or was this it, uh, for art uh, direction and cinematography. Okay, yeah. Co- okay, no, because costuming, I'm pretty sure Marie Antoinette uh, won that year. Um, mm. and so that, that was another period piece, which, you know, that's supposed to be 17, no, 18th century France. So, uh, but I, as art direction, I don't know what one that year, but, um, but go, going more into the characters, I know we've, we've talked a lot about the, the technical thing so far. Um, 
Sean, I guess I'll, I'll start with you. Like for, for you, how, how do you feel about the, the characters in this movie? Like, do you, do you feel for them? Do you care about them? Uh, I, I would say absolutely. I think, well, what, what's very interesting, um, I talked to my wife about this after watching the film and I said, no, I, I was, it was a tug of war between like, okay, so we know Angiers is the protagonist because the things he does pretty much accelerates the story. Uh, he does the things like he pulls the gun out in front of Borden, you know, to foil his, his, his plan to, you know, catch the bullet. And so, so obviously Angiers is moving the story forward. Um, but in a lot of ways, he's kind of like also his own antagonist because of his fuel of obsession and his want and need to be better than Borden and be the best. All the way to the point where he says he he cares more about magic than his own wife, or he doesn't mm-hmm. care anymore about his wife, which was so haunting and so like you know gasping when when you see or hear someone say something like that. Um, you know, and, and as far as from a character standpoint, yeah, you kind of see that obsession taking over where he starts turning, turning, turning bad. But uh, what's so fascinating about this movie is that we see a duality, another theme of duality of nature. And, and that, uh, I think this this movie and obviously The Dark Knight with Two-Face, you see this, the same headed coin. In this film, you actually see, I, don't, I wouldn't say the same coin, but you see this uh, a similar coin with two heads on each side. So... Uh, with the one-sided coyness of it all. Um, so you see the duality, the good and the bad, between both uh, Angier and Borden as characters. I wouldn't necessarily say Borden is is um, the antagonist, because when you look at him as a character, he kind of just wants to live his life with his wife, right? He kind of wants to just, just to do tricks. But Angier always comes in to interrupt, interrupt his life, you see? So uh, it's really fascinating in that way um i think christian bale and well both of them did fantastic work as pulling it off um and i kept you know watching it again and just re-watching the scenes and seeing who's who as far as who which one's fallon and which one is borden and, and and so forth and who's the husband to sarah uh obviously you get you get clues along the way where sarah's like you don't love me today uh, you loved me yesterday, and so forth. Like, so you start picking up on that kind of stuff, which is great. And then you start, as a director, you kind of like your job is to look for honesty. Ironically enough, as a number one rule in making a film is like you're looking for an honest performance. So I'm looking at my like, Christian Bale, like he he has all these subtleties. Like, even I was like, oh man, I don't know, is it him? Is it him? Is it, is it he? Is it, is this one? Is it this one? Uh, fantastic work all around. Like, and the believability and his, his anger when at the, at the point of, well, you know, tragically enough when Sarah takes her life, but like, you know, saying like, you know, his secrets are more important than that and how heartbreaking that is. So like, man, I think, and Michael Caine is always fantastic, you know, um, as we all said, but um, I mean, I can't really. Obviously, Scarlett Johansson was very. Was she new to the film? I, I can't remember if she was like very new. And um, she had done uh, Lost in Translation uh, a few okay. years. Um, she had done the SpongeBob movie <laughs> a few years before that. that. That's that's what no one saw. And that's what <laughs> okay. Yeah. But yeah. So she was very new, and I, I I mean I can't give her fault. I mean she she did her role. Obviously, anyone could play that role that she did. 
but she did still do it fine um, as an assistant. And, and she played her own game within that role. So, and what I mean by that is like, she went back and forth between Angier and Borden about um, who's key, who, who's telling her the truth about secrets in their journals and who's reading what truth. So um, I say no more. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, it makes me wonder if for, for some of those performances, how much of that was Nolan's direction of, you know, telling Christian Bale, okay, okay in, in this scene, you're, you're bored in, but you're the bored in that loves Sarah or in this scene, you're the bored in that loves Olivia or how much of that was Christian Bale bringing that as himself. And um, yeah. it, it's interesting to see like how, even in playing those roles, yeah, there, there's a level of subtlety that Christian Bale has to keep going back and forth to, um, to, like, to, to show you uh, a hint of what's going on, but to never really tell you fully what it is until the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron, like, did you find yourself rooting for um, Angie or, or Borden over the other? Well, I can tell you when I first watched this movie, I was team Christian Bale because he was Batman and I didn't know I I had not seen any of the X-Men movies at that point. So I was like, you know, I'm team Batman. Uh, um, And in this case, uh, I found them both to be sympathetic to a point. But then thinking about the awful things that both of them do um that you know there is this uh this you know soft softer side to both of them but like um just like they play games with people's lives uh um right uh as far as performances it for for me some actors it's weird because like Hugh Jackman is an actor, like, now that I know he's Australian, I can't, like, not think it's, like, this is a a guy who's Australian doing an American accent. Some actors, Mm -hmm. for me, is not like that. Like, when I, like, if I hear John Boyega, who who was Finn in Star Wars, or uh, Andrew Garfield, uh, you know, who who played Spider-Man, I I can't be, like... It, it it almost doesn't even cross my mind that they're British. That, that's just a thing for me. But I still think that, you know, they, they're both, you know, really good, um, you know, like, yeah. like, like, like Sean said, they both, you know, they bring that level of obsession, you know, to their roles. Uh, as far as, uh, yeah, Scarlett Johansson isn't the best in this movie. You know, it's, I, I do, um, I, I like her role. It just it adds more intrigue to the movie. Um but um Michael Caine, I, I you know, I I I really enjoy him in this movie, um, as sort of like the narrator in a way and explaining things and just sort of like mm-hmm. it's just like you stupid boy, you're not listening to me. This is how he does the trick. <laughs> I know. It's right there. It's under your nose. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, David Bowie is very solid as Nikola Tesla, um, even though he's not mm-hmm. in that much of the movie. Um, I, supposedly Christopher Nolan had, he was the only person that Christopher Nolan considered for the role is what I've heard. Yeah. 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 And I mean, 
understandably, like, even though he's not in a lot of it, like, I, I feel like he does really demand attention in every scene he's in. Um, and not as he steals the spotlight because it's not a very over-the-top performance. But th- there's a a level of charisma, but also, like, wounded, guarded, haunted charisma that comes with his character that I, I think uh, David Bowie does a really good job with. There, there was one thing that I... There was a, a random fact I learned about David Bowie is that he has one eye that's always, like, dilated. So, like, he, one of his eyes always looks different than the other. Uh, huh. So I was nosing that this time right after having learned that. I was just like, yeah, his eye is, is different than the other. <laughs> <It was> just... <laughs> wow. <laughs> I did not notice that. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it, it's funny hearing you you both describe, like, the, the sympatheticness of both Borden and, and Andrew. Because I, I feel like from my watch this time, it, as much as I still enjoy this movie, I, I kept thinking that in many ways, both of them are the villains of this movie and like they consistently just hurt the people around them in ways that gradually make them more and more monstrous. And that it's, it's not even like if for, for Andrew specifically, it's not the, the science experiment that makes him a monster. Um, it's the, the obsession. And for, for Borden, it's not um, so much, you know, that he is, putting disguises on it's that he he can't bring in the people he loves most into his life into what he's doing and Mm -hmm. for for both of them like i i found them like both like unsympathetic in some ways just because i feel like they were the ones who were constantly hurting people around them and i i mean and and i think aaron to your point about um Scarlett Johansson and like doing fine this movie. And I think I agree with that. And I think that's a a factor of the movie not caring about her character other than as a, uh, another trick for, um, Angier and, and Borden to use against one another. And because I feel like the, the women in this movie are constantly an afterthought. And Aaron, I know when we, we've talked about, um, other Nolan movies, like when we talked about inception, I talked about how, I think the character of Ariadne was um, not quite as fleshed out as as, um, a character could have been. And I think the similar situation where you have like really solid actresses with Scarlett Johansson. um, You have Rebecca Hall as Sarah Borden. Um, I'm not familiar with with Piper Parabo, who played uh, Julia. Um, But like, I I feel like that's the, the biggest problem again. And this is the... (laughs) <laughs> the the thing I, I always harp on with Nolan's movies is that he he doesn't know what to do with the women in his movies. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say that. Uh, yeah, I agree in a lot of ways that it, it's his movies are very male dominated, um, uh, and therefore the women get the back seat. But I think what's interestingly enough, I think Nolan, what why I, I feel like Prestige stands out the most is because Nolan actually at least attempts the most at making relationship romantic relationships in this film more than his other ones i know it was in, in inception um and I, while i still liked it i still i still think he really delved into the drama aspect of family life in this one as opposed to any of his other ones i can't think of any other ones that really stand out and apologize if i don't I don't see that but i think no. he tried really hard in this one mostly uh, no. tragic to be honest really stood out um and it actually speaks 
for for the time and the era that it was in that women always took the backseat mm. uh, in that in that in that world. Yeah, and I I do think that there is an effort to to portray those relationships and really um, get to the heart of them. I guess more so than the problem being that it's they the women are defined by their relationships, and then yeah. ultimately they then fall into uh, how they affect the male characters, like in in so many Christopher Nolan movies where. I mean, I just think off the top of my head, like how many Christopher Nolan movies feature a protagonist whose wife or girlfriend has died. Um, yeah. I, I get like pretty much all of them. Yeah, I think what what was it? Um, damn, I can't remember the name now. Um, his 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 other sci-fi with Matthew McConaughey. Um, Interstellar. Yeah, Interstellar. Like Jessica Chastain, uh, she was actually a, a major character in his movie. But like aside from that, I can't think of any. Any other things, at least his attempt to to portray a female protagonist, at least in some light. Yeah, I mean, you know? maybe Selena Kyle in The Dark Knight Rises, but... Um, yeah, but she's she's still supporting. Yeah. Um, but not as a lead for the story. Yeah. I would yeah. say, yeah, definitely, as far as female characters, I think Interstellar is probably his strongest. It's still not, like, the best, but... Between Jessica Chastain and Anne Hathaway, they do have more to do. I mean, Jessica Chastain is, you know, crucial to the plot. I mean, so is, uh, you know, not as crucial, but, you know, so is Anne Hathaway's character. Um, uh, yeah, no, I agree that I do get... It is weird that he falls into, like, do you know filmmakers love to repeat themselves like they they love to have their own tropes like i mean i know christopher nolan is definitely no uh no uh exception to that i mean pretty much every character in a martin scorsese movie cheats on his wife at some point (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it just it it is one of those things where once again like if you or, or or Nolan always has like a divorced parent, or not Nolan. Uh, Spielberg always has like yeah. a divorced parent in his movie because he had a very strained relationship with his father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, and it is, you know, emblematic of of their work. It just it is something that can be frustrating at times because I think, I mean, I think Scarlett Johansson and Rebecca Hall are, are incredibly talented actresses, and I I would have liked to see more from them. And I think, to be fair to them. Um, I think Rebecca Hall specifically does a, a really good job with the like her her torturedness over not being able oh, yeah. to really understand what's going on with her husband. And then like as she gradually understands, just seeing it tear her apart. Like I think she's not given a lot to work with, but what she does or what she has, like she she totally nails it. Yeah. And I think according to what I read is that one of her major lines uh, that changes the whole thing entirely was her line where she says, I know what you are to Borden. And mm-hmm. she says it multiple times. And apparently that wasn't not in the script that she uh, wanted to add that in. And that was probably the most haunting portion of what, how she came to, you know, to that feeling to her yeah. husband. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's sad. Yeah. Oh, uh, talking uh, about characters a little bit, I know we didn't get too much into, I mean, we talked about the plot a little bit, but um, in terms of so one th- so one thing I was wondering just because I they never explicitly answer it, but I so there's the two brothers. 
I'm assuming that the brother that loved her, that's also his daughter, but I'm not 100% sure because he always, he also seemed pretty protective of their daughter. I don't think they ever explicitly said, but I think you're supposed to assume that the, um, the Borden that loved Sarah is the one who's the father of but, their but, daughter. But, but, but there, but there is a little doubt. I was like, that's, that's interesting. I'm not 100% no, I think, sure. I think, I think they actually say it within the story that it is his daughter. Okay, you're probably right. You're probably right. But just like, but uh, you know, it is funny that you do pick pick on that because uh, that is also uh, I think that's one of uh, Christopher Nolan's daughters. Oh, Uh, interestingly enough, and you know, hence the 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 blonde hair and stuff like that. Which, I mean, I guess when you look at it at it like that, it's like, why does she have blonde hair? But her, parent, her parents don't have either of those traits, but um, yeah, it's just one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I just thinking about the 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 actors and, and actors in this movie. I, I just remembered uh, an article I'd seen, I think last year, um, where it's, I think some Nolan or people in Nolan movies had said like he doesn't allow them to sit during like between takes. Did you both hear about that? I think I might have heard of it. I, I mean, I can't really say whether or not that's true. No. I've heard no conflict. I've heard conflicting information on that, whether or not that's true. Like, if the the idea that he wants people to be attentive and not just lounge around, I think, is definitely true. Because, um, you know, people, yeah. you know, film shoots, you know, sometimes it can be, you know, especially if you're like doing like a setting up like uh, maybe not this movie because we did talk about how handheld this movie was but like you're setting up a dolly shot that could take a while to like set up or a crane shot or like choreographing a fight scene so like he his his idea you know if you're if you're sitting you're not working like i i don't i you know i basically just said i i'm i'm not there so i can't speak to the truth of whether or not i thought i heard somewhere that somebody said that wasn't true okay that's right. I, I just know he's he's an intense guy that like that doesn't is also said like he, he doesn't own a like a smartphone like or does I, he I own did, a cell phone? I, I did hear that he says there's no cell phones on his 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 sets. That's his rule. Yeah. Which I, mean, I which still, I And I, I heard I heard the the idea that uh, he actually flies out his actors just to read the script as opposed to like any other form. Um mm. And, and, it, and it, the scripts never leave his chambers or something like that. But um, mm. uh, to what degree, I have no idea. I, I hear conflicting things all the time. Like he's super strict, super like, uh, like just like movie, 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 but doesn't have any fun time. Like apparently, according to some people, he's really funny. So I don't know. No. I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. Well, you know what, uh, Chris, if you're listening to this movie, you know, come on <laughs> or, or this podcast, you know, join us. You can you can show us your your lighter side, uh, shoot right. some jokes. Um, you can talk about how much you love the Fast and Furious movies, apparently. Yeah, oh, really? I, heard I heard that's true. He loves that. Okay, well, the more you know. Um, I want to transition a little bit to going into the themes. And um, one of the themes that I um, was looking into that was more prevalent in the, the novel that this movie's based off of that... I didn't so much see in the film itself is kind of a, a class um, battle of uh, Hugh Jackman's character being a more aristocratic uh, magician where 
uh, Christian Bale's more of like a working class. Did 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 either of you catch up or catch that that classism kind of war uh, battle going on? Um, I, I think I did. I don't know if I really like thought too much about it, but I can see that the tiered layers of it um, and that element is particularly interesting. Now that you bring it up, I'm thinking more about it. Um, but yeah. I have to think more on it. <laughs> um, I did notice it a bit more having watched it recently. Um, I didn't notice it really. I think, like I said, I watched this movie like you know twice in the last like four months. Uh, the the most recent time I did when they go to see the the uh, the Chinese magician. Um, mm-hmm. They at first they said like go see him and uh, Borden says that he can't afford it and like Michael Caine's character says like he'll give him the money or whatever. Um, and then later, like, like they show that like his act is so good that he's able to buy a better home because like the one that he is, uh, initially in with Sarah is, you know, pretty modest. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, enough that like he's able to break into her, (laughs) if you put it that way, he's able to sneak into her, you know, her house when she says you can't. Now that could just because he's that good a magician, or he just he says that could be, you know, a, a subtle be like their locks aren't that good. I don't know. No, actually, See, right? I, yeah, I was, I was just gonna say like, uh, I think that does speak a lot about class um, and, and and the different qualities of like their lifestyle. Where you see Sarah and Borden together uh, in their home, as opposed to Angiers, and later on, you know, officially. Uh, reveals himself as Lord Cord Low, I believe the, the yeah, term is. Cord Low, and yeah. he was, and he was able to um, uh, secretly buy out uh, the uh, you know uh, Angier's uh, uh, experiments, or, or as far as like his magic, his performances, and stuff like that. Um, so that was very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. just like they, one thing that did kind of like when he's trying to point out that. Um, he like, you know, if I, if he's alive, I didn't, you know, I didn't kill Angier. Like that part kind of bugged me. Like the fact that like nobody seemed to recognize, um, uh, Angier. But like, part of me is also thinking like if Borden is so low, they, that they don't really care about his innocence. They're just like, he's just another kind of, you know, working class, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, not like gutter rat, but like this is hard. <laughs> hard. Yeah. But like street rat or whatever. Yeah. Uh, like they, they, you know, this is just you know their job is to hang people. So you know. Yeah, and I think also what's interesting is because of the class aspect to it is that Andrew was he really cared about the uh, the spectacle, the performance of it. Uh, Borden was well middle class. He didn't really have a huge performance, and that's when. Uh, uh, Olivia came into play the, the bouncing back and forth the nature of like she was saying how like Borden actually needs an assistant like her to like live and up liven up her, his, his performances oh yeah that's uh, right because when he first does the transported man and mm-hmm. you uh, he uh, it, it's just like two cabinets and it's like it's a very modest setup like um Angier is always about like the current goes up and you know did mm-hmm. I, I was a little confused so did 
because I he when he fools Angier with the the cipher on his uh his notebook did did uh Tesla do did he make something for uh Borden? Yeah, I think he made the um like the machine that has the electricity going from one of the closed box rooms to the other. Right. But like, that was like the fanciest thing that he had, but like, still you, you do, you're right. Like when you look at the theaters that they uh, could afford, like, uh, Andrew right. had a, had a, a bigger one. Yeah. But um, then, but, but then it also begs the question, how do they have the money to afford to, for Tesla to, to help him? If, if we're talking about when it comes to class and class success. Oh, well, man, that's a good point. Um, yeah. Like with Tesla was just like, cause he had already been kind of like uh, pushed aside by Edison. Like it was just like, if anybody's interested in him, he'll be willing to, you know, you know, give them something for a modest, you know, you know, mm-hmm. and m- money, some money is better than no money. No. Yeah, but I mean, it could be anything as far as because the industrial age and we were talking about how, yeah, he had a different theater exhi- exhi- exhibition a space and all that stuff. So it is interesting to think about. Yeah. And the the other thing, and this goes to Aaron, you and me not be able to understand Christian Bale the first time we saw this, is is I wonder if, if even that casting or, or letting Christian Bale use his um, – just his, his normal Welsh accent was intentional knowing that um, like Wales has traditionally been um, a more like uh, agricultural or industrial part of the UK. And it's only um, over the years that's become a little bit post-industrial. So, you know, I, I wonder if, if even having him have that Welsh accent was meant to portray some of that class warfare. That, that may be because like, Watching him, you know, I watched uh, Ford versus Ferrari, and in that movie, he has like a very like, not like exactly posh English accent, but it is a more like it is an English accent compared to his his accent in this. Mm-hmm. So like, um, and that makes him sound a little more sophisticated than he comes across in this. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I want to say that was that was very intentional. Um, the the other theme I wanted to, to it's bring like in, up. it's it's like in Shrek when Mike Myers wanted to use a Scottish accent. Yeah, it <laughs> another is. Nolan favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Christopher Nolan direct that secretly under a pseudonym? Yeah, he did. No. I think. Uh, fun fact. Um, <laughs> no, the the other theme I want to go into is just there is this um, obviously the, the, the magic tricks are what is um, compels the majority of this movie, but there's this sense of like what is science versus like what is magic or like where, where does like imagination end and where does um, like how far can man grasp before it's, it's gone too far. And it's kind of like the answer is the twilight zone. (laughs) Well, it's, it's (laughs) kind of like a, like a, a Frankenstein ish uh, part to it. And I find it fitting because it's also told and diaries, which is also very true to the the Frankenstein novel, um, but like, what did you think of Tesla coming in and having this sci-fi element thrown into this movie that until then was grounded in you know sleight of hand and 
uh, technical mastery. Like, what what do you think of that that turn? I think it's pre- I think it's particularly interesting. Uh, it also uh, begs to want to actually subtly talk more about uh, the science versus religion aspect, and that's you know the the seesaw behind you know how people believe in magic as opposed to the the, the pure science side that everything is logic everything has some sort of reason behind it and can be explained whereas audience members love love the, the sleight of hand love the misdirection love to to not know how things work and we want to constantly be fooled in that aspect um so i think maybe that was just nolan's reasoning well again it comes from the book though it comes from um, christopher priest's uh the prestige book so i think Partly, it has to do with maybe him uh, tinkering in the idea that he wanted to tell a an aspect of science versus magic, science versus religion, the 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 things that we can logically explain versus things that we can't. Right. That's just my thought. That. Yeah. Sounds like an episode of Lost. Um, well, I, yeah. I was I was just thinking of Lost because the thing is that this is, and even like when I was watching this movie with our our with our family like that is like the part where like the that's either gonna fascinate people or people are gonna be like that's the part where you lost me like this this is getting ridiculous it's very similar yeah. to loss where like you know why is there a polar bear on this island this is ridiculous mm-hmm. yeah yep. so i i take that means that aaron you were like you 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 bought that transition though uh yeah i mean it's like I said, I think it's kind of gutsy. Like from what I know for the trailer, they they use the phrase like you know real magic or something like that. So like they they, they do tease that that's going to be like an element, but like it it is could like you could just make this like a very like like Sean said a very kind of like Hitchcock kind of thriller. Um, if, if I think of like a movie that kind of like sort of like a Hitchcock movie that kind of goes that direction. And then it's like, Nope, it's not that at all. You think of vertigo was like, they talk about like reincarnation and stuff like that. And then they're like, no, that wasn't part of it. This guy just wanted to kill his wife (laughs) as is, you know, the case usually in a Hitchcock movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it, it just, um, it, uh, it, it just, it is, um, like I said, I think it was, uh, a risk that I think for most people is going to pay off. I will say that like, you can't really look at it. Like when you actually try to think of the science of it is like, well, like, you know, science tells us that you can't, you know, destroy or create matter. So how are there, you know, how is he copying things? But you like, yeah. is he like pulling them from an alternate universe? He says that they're all the same, but there, there's yeah. no, there's no explanation. I mean, the fact that it doesn't explain it is what makes it work. Yeah. Uh, but you'd be yeah. like, yeah. it maybe it works on some level of you know science that we don't understand yet. Just the yeah. way but like. I, think, I was just to say, I think like the story, the way that it goes there, it it, it goes again going back to the whole obsession and the idea that. You're no longer caring about the, at least for the care of magic. It's no longer about the illusion. It's more about like, I just want to be better. I just want to be like the best. Now it's no longer about magic or the feeling of being full. It's like literal science. Let's go there. Let's go science fiction now. Let's depart from this illusion, you know, 
um, and, and go for the hard science of it. And you, he, Andrew kind of like loses it, you know, in that way, which is very interesting. And I think uh, the fact that it doesn't explain it is like, even though like, yeah. they're talking about magic tricks or like, you don't want to know how it works because mm-hmm. like then like even uh, when Borden explains to uh, Sarah's nephew is like, when you explain the trick to somebody, you're nothing to them. Cause you, you, you know, all yeah. of your, your mystery is gone. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's not as exciting anymore. If you know the answer. Yeah. And I, I think in, in some ways like inception, the prestige is Christopher Nolan talking about films and what audiences enjoy about films. No, I watched the behind the scenes. He, he definitely said this is about, this is about him making movies. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought it was pretty obvious, but yeah, he, so he, he, he's simply trying to tell you like, I'm tricking you. That's what movies are about. It's about you believing that, you know, these characters are doing these impossible things. You don't really want to know that, Oh, this is, this special factor, you know, we're doing this behind the scenes to make it look like this. Like you want to believe that when you're watching it. And mm-hmm. I, I think that works. My, my, my qualm or like my nitpickiness about this is I, I do wonder if the movie, if that turn to the sci-fi is earned or not, because I, I think so much of the, the first part of the movie is, is trying to, really base itself on that premise of, okay, like a magic act has three parts. Like first you present something, then you make it different and then you return it. And I, I, I don't know if having a sci-fi element added in late into the movie is the same as, um, a twist or is it more of a, I don't know, like a, a sudden reversal. Like, Things like the, the the fact that Christian Bale is playing two different characters, I think part of that is like, okay, that is a uh, a twist because there are things that you can see in there. And like there's ways that you can know about that as the movie's going along. But in terms of how Angier's uh, machine built by Tesla works, like that's not something you can really understand until the movie gets it to the end. So it's, it's not like a, a twist like, um, you know, Bruce Willis being dead, the end of Sixth Sense, where it's like, OK. Hey, you see... spoilers, that movie. OK, that movie's more than 20 years old now. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shame on you if you haven't seen that movie. <laughs> but no, so you, you're that's something where you see clues to, to pick it up. And that's what makes it an effective twist is that you realize I should have caught this earlier. And that's what makes the twist of Christian Bale being two people effective because it's like, oh, well, now, of course, I see it. But there's no way to know that this machine was duplicating people unless. I don't know. I did. Do you think there was a tell? Like, is it possible to to see that ahead of time? Um, I know visually they just they show the multiple hats, but like you're not going to know what that is until they show it. But. I think it's it is interesting that you brought that up, and I, it, it does get me thinking. But I think, Josh, you're coming from like a very literal perspective, like beyond just what this is. It just it interjects in, in the flow of the film. But what does it have to say about the character? And I think if you pull yourself back to why the theme is is about obsession and, and caring so much that you actually break your own reality and do things beyond what is understood as real 
then mm. it becomes it becomes it, it's it's so out there that you yeah know, it, it's so far apart from what we understand. I think that that just goes back to the character, and he's just so fueled by this. Right. He he breaks the boundaries of of reality to do yeah. something something so crazy that he yeah. can't think that he can't think of something simple as uh, Borden has a twin. It's it's as right. simple as that. But he he yeah. looks beyond the ridiculousness of extrapolate. Like it, it, it might have like it, it might have be a conversation about like how fan theories are so crazy. But mm. when you get the reveal and lost, it's not. It's not that. And you're like, oh, well, that's disappointing. It's not my theory because your theory is so nuts. So like if you think about Angier being so nuts as a fan theory, it, as as that, as an embodiment of that idea, then it totally makes sense. And it's so brilliant. <laughs> I don't know. I just, so, so, so Joshua, Angier is a WandaVision fan. Oh, <laughs> there you go. That, that makes sense. No, I... I know that that does Michael Caine was Mephisto this. the whole time. Oh, of course I should. You could tell in the one scene when he had his hair kind of like horns. Um, no, I, that, that does make me rethink this because it going to the one scene when Andrew, um, is doing the, the, the transported man with, um, the body double. Um, and you, you tell that he's, so disappointed that he's below stage during that and that he can't see the reaction. Um, and then you see over time that he keeps sacrificing what he really, like what this, this means to him. Like at first it's like, Oh, I like the, the crowd or, Oh, I like this, um, this showmanship of it. But then it's just like, I am fueled by this obsession to outdo my rival and also get back at him. And so at the end, it's not about like who can perform the best magic tricks. Like, how do I just like beat him? And so he, I mean, in, in some ways it's, it's kind of a cheat because it's not a magic trick. It's a yeah, science fiction it's, trick. Yeah. He breaks that rule. Yeah. What magic is all about, you know, but yeah. then he comes back at the very end, you know, when he's like, you know, shot and dying and he, he's talking about the wonders of the, the audience. Um, gasping or or seeing their eyes open up when they see the the, the prestige you know the yeah. very end of the trick and that's all that matters and i think that's the reality that Borden needed to see again yeah no i think it's a good point and I, I i guess uh getting toward um closing i don't want to definitely come up anyone's thoughts yet but um that that does make me think with this movie and its its emphasis on these uh, these the prestige of it all and the reveal. Um, I mean, Christopher Nolan is a is a filmmaker who's known for having that that misdirection and those surprises and those twists and turns. Um, and, and I mentioned another one who's who's known for that in uh, M Night Shyamalan. Like, but <laughs> clearly there's there's a, a big difference in how people think about both of those directors. And I, I'm curious for both of you, like. What for you, if if you think this is accurate, separates Christopher Nolan from M Night Shyamalan? Like, what what separates the Prestige from, um, you know, like Woman in the Water or uh, some of the uh, Shyamalan films that have been kind of mocked over years? Josh, you you opened Pandora's box. You do not remember that Sean is a huge Shyamalan fan. <laughs> that no, that's why I did well, it. That- 
Well, he's the reason why I got into filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, Shyamalan was because I saw The Sixth Sense and I was blown away. Um, I think to answer it very plainly without talking for hours is Shyamalan is about supernatural. Uh, Nolan is about science fiction. But mm-hmm. but their, their connective tissue is making a, a great thriller, Hitchcockian, uh, great directors of, of classic times, uh, noir, uh, there was elements that were inspired of our yesteryear. You know, it's like it's it's all those elements that were that made Shyamalan and Nolan, the, who you know who they are as directors. So mm-hmm. they they obviously come from distinct perspective differences in those genres. Would you even say genres? Because they're they're bending genres, uh, they're breaking the rules. So even the prestige broke. It's it's not even a classified as its own genre. So I think Nolan likes to dance with thrillers, but like do something science, sci-fi, and like and go at it. Um, and then Shyamalan comes through that supernatural angle. Um, now, obviously, I can't really vouch for like his more recent stuff, but um, his, Sixth Sense, um, Unbreakable, and Signs were like the trilogy for me, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that. That, that that's it for me <laughs> that's you know um so that those two directors uh, were big inspirations even for me okay yeah fair and yeah i uh yeah i'm i'm not necessarily here to to besmirch uh mlay shaman's aid just much as recognizing that the, the discourse around them is is so very different like mm-hmm. re, like i just in in recent years uh or just this past year i i remember the the reaction to the trailers and build up the tenet being so different than really the like the the initial shock and then immediate mocking that met old um like there's there's this sense of like Christopher Nolan is this this respected author or uh, filmmaker and, and M Night Shyamalan is someone that people just tend to criticize and um yeah. I don't know, Aaron, do you get that sense? And do you think that's fair? I mean, that's definitely true. I mean, if you talk about popularity, it's... But, like, M. Night Shyamalan is still around. Like, he still gets movies funded. And, like, he also... He's a Philly guy, which I appreciate. Like, being... That's like... He's he's a local guy for... he he He'll be like, I'm going to set this movie in Philly. I'm going to shoot him in Philly. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um... Uh, but yeah, I think, um, Christopher Nolan just, I guess, has better twists. I don't know if there's a, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they both, Nolan and Shyamalan, they both write their own things. Well, I mean, Nolan, he, 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 he was working with his brother right. writing films. I think he wrote, I think Nolan or Christopher, uh, to be exact, wrote Tenet, I think. Yeah. Um, um, I don't think Jonathan had anything to do with that one, no. but but Shyamalan has always been his his own writer. Uh, yeah. It is very interesting. So I don't know if Shyamalan actually has a collaborator or knows, but I, I I can say with much confidence that Nolan knows pace pacing very well. At least it's more consistent, yeah. um, and he knows how to deliver that. Yeah, I mean, Christopher Nolan is actually he's an interesting like. You think about like this. Josh just said this movie is like two 
hours, two hours and ten minutes with the credits. Um, it was, some of his movies are pretty long, like The Dark Knight's two and a half hours. Interstellar's almost three hours, but like people will sit through his movies and mostly enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Um, M. Night Shyamalan usually doesn't make a movie that goes over two hours um and yet people are like i don't want to sit through it so i i just i, I think it's just they're something different to their approach but i think they have similar ideas yeah yeah no yeah. that that's fair yeah and i should also say and you talking about uh night Shyamalan shooting in philly uh adam sandler was shooting here the other day so yeah yeah exciting <laughs> everyone really glad for that uh, uh no if if people enjoy his movies that's you know more power to them um but but i guess i was closing off that that comparison and just like talking about this movie as emblematic of nolan's uh filmography overall like do you think like someone like Shyamalan or someone else could have made this movie well Believe it or not, I believe uh, Sam Mendes was supposed to be attached to make the Prestige movie before uh, mm-hmm. Christopher Priest, the 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 author, uh, had a change of heart. I don't know. If, well, actually, be wrong. I don't think Mendes was actually attached. He was one of the frontrunners for it. Uh, but then Priest gave it to Nolan because uh, Nolan was an up and coming filmmaker, and he 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 believed in uh, a new voice for younger mm-hmm. filmmakers, which is interesting to hear. Well, I think it's also when I think about this was a touchstone movie, which uh, that's a Shyamalan company, right? Territory. Uh, no, it's a Disney. It's a it's a it's a Disney affiliate. Yeah, but um, did, didn't he do stuff with Touchstone? Yeah, yeah, he did. Okay, I, it's I know it's not his company. I'm just saying that they they've worked together. So I I wonder if that was ever. But um, Sam Mendes would have been interesting. Have I don't I haven't watched that many of his movies. I've seen you know Skyfall. 1917 uh road to perdition this there is a sort of ominousness in this movie that road to perdition's they're, they're different movies but they like as in, in terms of like setting like a a forebodingness that that movie has that this movie also kind of has um mm-hmm. that i think he could have brought to this i do want to say that um i really uh as far as like where this falls into the filmography, I think that, you know, this does feel like a Nolan movie, but not like the, you know, he definitely got more into action as he got later on. This feels very much more in line with Memento. It also has the same, um, yeah. same, uh, uh, musician doing the, the score. Uh, I forget yes, what Julian. David Julian. Yeah. yeah. So um so yeah, that sort of has a less melodic score but more sort of like gets you in the soundscape of you know right you know yeah less 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 It's it's it, it builds a way of dread really. Um there's a mm-hmm. there's a sort of you you go into some of these scenes of dread um and there's sort of there's a sort of uh macabreness to this movie that I feel like other Christopher Nolan movies had when you think about like shots you know, obviously we talked about Sarah's, you know, hanging herself, which is very dark, um, especially for a PG-13 movie. But um, but also for uh, like seeing the doves being thrown away, people's getting their, you know, hands, you know, caught in this cage and losing fingers and stuff. 
You know, it right. is it is a little grimmer. No. Mm-hmm. Are you saying are you saying Sam Mendes would? would no, be, I'm just uh, I, I'm I I was kind of just lamenting I, on like that. No, no, I'm not lamenting it. I'm just saying it's it's. <laughs> no, I I like yes. I I, no, I actually kidding. like PG thirteen movies that are darker. So, uh, yeah. this in some ways it feels kind of up there with the Dark Knight in terms of it's uh yeah. how dark it gets. Oh, yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. On that note, just kind of looking through the filmography again. Um. Sean, not to to rank every single last Nolan movie, but like <laughs> r- roughly, where where yeah. does the Prestige rank among his his movies? Oh man, you guys might be surprised. I think honestly, it's my top two. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, this and Memento are are neck and neck. Like I'm constantly thinking, well, the Prestige might be better, but I because only because. And, but but then I'm I'm going back constantly rewatching Memento and be like no Memento is so unique and it comes off it, it breaks so many rules and then does it so well and like Memento's like in uh, film classes you know across the nation you know talking about the structure and stuff like that so I don't know like and as you said way earlier in this in this uh, recording that uh, no not many people talk about it but I think the prestige is very well the underdog and it deserves yeah. the the accolades if not more um because it, every everything uh, for me at least around it is, is so well done but then memento is just good it's so good so mm-hmm. um i i think as far as me i i have to admit like yeah it's always hard when you when you rewatch a really good nolan movie where you want to rank it because i always you know you talked about like watching a Nolan movie and not being able to know how you felt. The only movie where I, I immediately knew I loved it was Interstellar. I was like, I love this movie, this movie, and especially because I had, I saw it in IMAX. Um, mm-hmm. it, that's a very different, like you know, that has the more like huge scale Nolan, you know, Nolan master of the theater. Um, mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, this movie could very well be in like the top, you know, like in no particular order, I guess, if it's the top five, you know, Memento, Prestige, um, Batman Begins, uh, Interstellar, and I like, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. like The Dark Knight. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Like I go, I would go back and forth whether you know if I had to put Interse- Inception or The Dark Knight, which one I would go with. Um, I know, I know. I was just gonna say The Dark Knight would probably be my number three. Uh, it just there's those three movies are just so good, um, and Inception for me is such a fun popcorn like, and it's not even that. It's like it's way better than a fun popcorn movie. It's not even a guilty pleasure. It's so it's good. It's so fun. It's so entertaining. And mm-hmm. the last thirty minutes, so, there's so much build that it just like. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's just, it's just I, so I I do think that like, I feel like this movie, The Prestige, should be a bona fide classic, and it isn't, and it makes me a little, yeah, perturbed, that mm-hmm. like right. if 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 an if this movie because it didn't make all that much at the box office, like it did well enough that like they're like okay, you know we're gonna keep working with you. You already know you're gonna make another Batman movie. Um, 
But like if they was made a little later in his career, it would have made a whole lot more money. I think there would have been a bigger there would have been a big Oscar push for it. Um, it would have, and it, it would have had more prestige. Uh, <laughs> you've been waiting all yeah. podcast for that. Now I, no, I, I, I can't argue with with either of your rankings or your thoughts on um, how you're ranking them. I, I will say for me, the Dark Knight and Inception are probably still my my top two. Um, but I, I think this is undoubtedly. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I haven't seen Tenet yet, but I, I don't think I've seen a movie of Chris Reynolds that I've disliked or thought was bad. Ooh, uh, Tenet might be that. <laughs> okay, well, we'll I'll, I'll watch it and let you know. Um, but so I, I think this is a really good movie, and it, it's hard for me to say why it doesn't get as much uh, attention and love as Memento or Inception. Um, I think cast alone, it should garner a lot of attention. Um, so it, it's just it's weird that this one gets overlooked, and I think maybe uh, you know in, in years to come, um, as people you know, I mean, Chris Nolan still being a very active uh, filmmaker, you know, he's working on Oppenheimer now with um, with uh, Cillian Murphy, Killian Murphy. I mean, um, cool. like so he, I think maybe once his career uh, settles down a bit, like they'll have to be kind of a uh, a, a rethinking or like a re-examining of his filmography and and where this sits in there, um, right. but for for now I'd say it's it's in the 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 top efforts it's in the strongest set of them and I mean I definitely like this a lot more than like Dunkirk and and I like Dunkirk, um, yeah so I agree. And uh-huh. I think going back to your point about um, you said why people don't really talk about it I think. I just come to the conclusion that it's not it's just not for the general audience i think if you're if you're like a, a big movie buff uh and you, you talk to other movie buffs and fans of this kind of film uh they, they they'll, they'll just applaud it you know hands down but i think when it comes to the average person it's just like it's just too much it's just too much yeah and i i think you're probably right I, and i think it it, it has this this kind of air to it where if if you're wanting a movie that you're going to have to really pay attention to, it's good. But if you, but it's also a movie that knows it's smart. And for some people that can also be off put or, you know, uh, uncomfortable. It's like, okay, I I see you're trying to impress me. Right. I know Um, you said you got that feeling when you read cloud cloud Atlas. Yeah. Something like, and it, and that's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but it, that can be grating. To, Some people like, just want to watch Dumb and Dumber and laugh at Jim Carrey. Well, not not even in that exactly, but like th- there's <laughs> th- there are movies that do like really smart things, and they they do it in an understated way and kind of walk off without putting a spotlight on it. And then th- this is a movie that like very much draws attention to this is what I was doing. You're impressed now. You may applaud. Um, and that's not a bad thing. It's just, it, it's off putting for some people. And so I think mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of to find the right audience. You should find someone who is willing to really invest in it, but someone who is not going to like see what they're doing and get annoyed that they're being so showy about it. Yeah. 
you're basically not going to take your parents to this, to see this movie. Basically, well, that, but I, I, I do. You say that, but this is actually like, I think our mom really loves this movie. Actually, <laughs> really, yeah, our mom like. Uh, well, your your mom's really smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell her she's you. She was like, and she'll talk to our grandmas like, you remember that movie with the magicians? And they were like, yeah, we got to watch that again. And then they were really excited when I when I bought it. Yeah. And that's just she, you know, she she's like, wasn't that good? <laughs> so yeah, and to be fair, there are like really incredible elements to it that I think uh, general audiences still agree that they like. I th- I just think the the general the general oh, popularity yeah, yeah. of it is that they just it's just too much to think about. I mean, know? yeah, that's, this, that's I mean, why most people just go to soap operas and and watch uh, it. it, you it know? And and again, it's yeah. it's 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 just one of those things. It's weird because our mom would watch soap operas, and we just got back from the 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 new James Bond movie yesterday, and she was asking nice. my dad all these questions like, "Why did so and so do this?" But like, I don't know, <laughs> for some reason, like this movie really connects with her. So, but yeah. I, I I think you're right that you know you know most people just want to you know watch you know. Sorry, I just had to say it because you get you kind of build it up there. Oh, they want to watch what? The world burn. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, they just they uh, they want to watch. You know, they want to watch. You know, maybe uh, a Spider-Man movie or something. I don't know. This right. next one might be a little more trippy than you know the typical Spider-Man right, movie. Sure. <laughs> I'm excited though. Yeah, me, me too. Um, no, it sounds like all of us would. Uh, would recommend this movie and think that it, it does have uh, it, it could appeal to a lot of people. Just it, it's a matter of getting people into the, the theater or getting them into their seats to watch it. And then, um, yeah, like if, if someone wants to be invested in it or if they're just going to find it's like I said, if, if, if they're annoyed when someone is smart and they know they're smart, uh, which mm. You know, sometimes, you know, you, you don't want someone to to kind of wave their intelligence in front of you like a flag. Um, but sure. yeah, Aaron, is there anyone that like you would say this movie is not for or anyone that you would especially recommend this movie to? Well, definitely if people don't like I mean, this movie isn't the darkest, but if you don't like if you don't like movies that are kind of depressing, that you probably don't want to watch this movie because it doesn't end exactly end on a happy note. If you want to. If you if you want to just be like wow that makes me feel really good as opposed to like whoa where what just happened like some people don't want to but I I yeah I I, I don't think there's any or just somebody who's just like I want to watch a movie but like I don't want to you know I just want to put it on the background I can you know like be on Twitter or whatever while it's yeah, on this is, this is not that movie for yeah. sure no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. If if you watched uh, Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman, so I want to watch more of that guy. Don't watch this movie. <laughs> I want to see him in this one. It's a very <laughs> different movie. He doesn't even I, sing. He doesn't sing a bar in this movie. But both right are now. about him and his showmanship, though. So there, yeah, there's he, a connection there. He was the greatest showman, or maybe he wasn't. That's what the movie's about. Who's the greatest showman? <laughs> they could have <laughs> named boring. this movie The Greatest Showman. It would have been the same. 
No. <laughs> he just breaks out in a song in his, in his, in his final breaths at the very end. Uh-huh. Like, explaining the, re- the reveal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, but Sean, any like closing thoughts on this movie? Oh, geez. I mean, honestly, if you haven't seen it, I don't know why you listen to this podcast, but uh, uh, again, we've talked so much about it, but it's like, it's one of Nolan's best works. Um, uh, it's it's something to always go back to, and at least for me, I always see something new. Um, and, you know, just to point out, like, there's so many visual motifs that you might not see right away, but uh, visually, if it's too hard for you to think and you just watching it visually is very striking in itself and just like it, being immersed in that world and, and Wally Fister again does such a fantastic job behind the camera. It's just, you know, him and Nolan were a fantastic team um, and it's a shame they aren't working anymore, but um, there's, there's the time. So like, seriously, just, just keep watching it. Just keep watching it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. Aaron, any other thoughts from you before we wrap this up? I don't think so. Okay. The the only thing I'm going to add is uh, if you've read uh, House of X or Powers of X, the recent X-Men comics, you should watch this movie because it has a similar uh, resurrection kind of aspect to it. Uh, It's the current comic kick I've been on. Um, And also Hugh Jackman was was Wolverine. So there you go. Um, it, It all ties together. Um, it's all connected. But uh, anyway, so that was um, our podcast on the 15th anniversary of Christian Nolan's The Prestige. Um, want to thank everyone for listening and want to definitely thank both of you for joining me today. Um, as we usually do, just want to give everyone a chance to um, plug any of their social media or if there's any projects um, or anything they want to uh, shamelessly plug here. So um <laughs> Sean, I'll, I'll let you go first if you want to tell people if they can find you online or if you just want to promote anything. Well, uh, if anyone is interested in, you know, getting in touch, I'm uh, always on Twitter, maybe not talking on Twitter, but uh, uh, yeah, you can find me on there mostly. That's uh, at, my, at my own name. So at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, last name Liebert, L-E-B-E-R-T. Okay. Awesome. And yeah, and anything you've been tweeting about recently? Was that to Aaron or me? Oh, uh, to you. <laughs> oh, to me? I haven't been tweeting uh, very recently, no. Okay. Um, uh, it's been uh, very recent that they just dropped the Resident Evil uh, trailer, so that's interesting. But yeah. um, but that's I, I, I digress, and I you know it's not about that. So yeah. um, if you're interested, talk to me on Twitter. Yeah. That's right. Well, I, I I was curious if you had tweeted anything else about that. Aaron and I were just talking about that the other day. So, uh, no, not yet, not yet. I'm still still thinking about it. Okay, okay. We'll have to ask you another time. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Aaron, uh, where can people find you? And do you have anything you want to plug today? Uh, no, I'm I'm just at Aaron Sarnecki on Twitter. Uh, I will put it out there that uh, my computer's about to die, so you should wrap this up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um. Yeah, cool. Um, in that case, that I will wrap this up. Um, so if you want to find me online, they can find me at Josh Sonecki. And 
Um, I do this podcast with Aaron every month, um, as well as the TV Break podcast with Bill and Alex. So please check out those podcasts. And yeah, so this this was a lot of fun. And Sean, thank you so much again uh, as the extra special, super special guest um, that we've thank been waiting you. for. So uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Um, it's and, been quite the pleasure. Hope to hope to do it again. Uh, yeah, definitely. We'll have to find something else. And uh, Aaron, thank you for keeping me along after uh, I, I've managed to have some pretty terrible closings over the last few months. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, everyone, thank you for listening. And remember, if it's Batman versus Wolverine, Batman wins. <laughs>